<laughs> we are going to do our final lesson of our series of messages from God. And we focused a lot on the book of John uh, to begin with because John's main goal is to give you what Jesus is to the world. And that's what we wanted to see is, what does God want to tell the world? Yes, there's a lot of things in the Bible and there's a lot of things to talk about, but if you could boil down what God's greatest messages are, I think the book of John does a really good job of that. What are God's messages? And so we went over several of them. The first of all was that God... Well, I need a new marker. No, but... First of all, that God had a message. And his message came through... Jesus. John 1. And Jesus, another name for Jesus is... The Word. The Word. <laughs> because we talked about him communicating, right? His very being, not only his speech and his words and his actions, but his very being communicates to us the love of God in the fact that he was incarnate or came to earth. God says, I love you enough to send my son to earth. All right? So after that, we get some other messages from him. And some of the other messages are that he is my beloved son. Remember, he's standing next to John the Baptist or coming down uh, to be baptized. And John the Baptist says, that's the Lamb of God, okay, which is a key piece, the Lamb of God. And when he is standing in the river being baptized, the heavens open up, the dove comes down, the Spirit on top of him, and this says, this is my beloved Son. Hear him. Listen to him. Why are we hearing him? Because he's got a message. He's the Word. And God told us And Well, God told you to, right. And so it gives validity to the fact nobody ever else had God open up the heavens and say, this is my son, listen to him. Nobody else had that, okay? People wanted power like that, but then we begin to learn some of the things that Jesus is for us. We, he, he is a provider in that he's the bread of life. He can give the water, living water. Okay? He is the good shepherd. He's a protector. A pruner. He is a pruner. We'll get, yep. He is a pruner, and we'll come back to that because that has a special, a special um, piece that we need to talk about, which is forgiveness with a question mark. All right. The good shepherd also he is the archangel. Okay. 
steering closer, wheel. Closer. The door. The door. Right. He's a door. <laughs> He's a door, or yes, the gate to the sheepfold. And that's all yes, wrapped yes. up in being the shepherd. Yes. The shepherd lays in front of him. Yes, the shepherd becomes the door in that he puts himself and in the way. God, and then when you're outside, it's like, you can't have to go. Right. <laughs> right. But then, he says, he allows you in and out and takes you to green pasture. That's what the door actually does, because a door isn't just a board that's nailed shut. Right? A door allows you in and out, passage in and out, safe to you when you need it, but ability to go out and mingle in the world. Okay? And we find that he is, if I got... Oh no, I missed a couple of things. Uh, another thing that we see is that he is the resurrection. So, yes, he is the resurrection and the life. And how is he? Well, we looked at, we saw that when he visited Nicodemus and he said, He that believeth in me. Will never ever die. Will never die, yes. Though he were dead, yes, shall he live. That's actually in 11 when he raises Lazarus from the dead. But in John 3, when he talks to Nicodemus, he says, Whosoever believeth in me. Whosoever believeth in me. No, not that one. That's the John 11 one. But have eternal life, right? So how do we know he's got the ability to give us life? Because he raised people from the dead. Yeah. All right. He raised other people from the dead, including Lazarus, who was four days dead in the grave, showing regardless of how long. Yeah. Right? Because people say, well, okay, you say you're going to raise people from the dead. They're all rotten and gone after 100 years. Doesn't matter to God. He has the power over life. They bury great Aunt Tilda over in the, the cemetery, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, and there ain't much left of her right now. But, <laughs> but God has the ability to raise them from the dead, whether they've dead, been dead 10,000 years or not, makes no difference to God. All right? So he is the ability over life to, to give life even after death. <clears throat> And that's what he showed. And then last week, we talked about that, that he is a pruner. And we took, look at, we took a look at two lives, two different people, two different reactions. Um, uh, Judas. Judas was one. And John. And? Peter. Peter. Oh, Peter. Yeah, that <laughs> because Peter, wait, because Peter But then Jacob accidentally cut out Satan. But Peter was also... Well, okay. Now, didn't they both betray him? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, they did. Okay. And so what is the difference? There isn't. The difference is. Oh. There is a difference. Mm -hmm. There is a difference. Oh. Why do we think of Peter as a saint and Judas as not so much? Because... Oh, hey! Because he gave him a chance not to do it. He gave everybody a chance not to do it. He told Peter he was going to deny. You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice tomorrow morning. You're going to deny me, deny me three times. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm going to go to the grave with you. I'm never going to deny you. And he did. Okay? And Judas was sneakier about it. Yes. 
also. He did do it for money, but then remember, he threw the money back in the temple, right? Yeah. So he repented. But we don't know. Because Peter cried and Judas killed himself. But, but Judas still, that's because he felt bad. Though. He did feel bad. So do we... We don't know what was in Judas. The conclusion is we don't know. But we do know with Peter. And that's really the only reason at this point, many people believe that Judas didn't really repent to God. He threw the money back in, but we don't know that. Right? And I'm not going to be the judge of that. We'll find out. That's what God judges. <laughs> and he's the smartest judge. Every, anywhere, ever. Right? He, he will know everything. That's like the big mystery. I mean, yes. people think it's not because they're like, oh, no, he went to hell. How do you know? You don't know. You, have, you do not know. You would have no idea. Did a thing that I kind of forgot about last week. But um, he did a thing about how he said his friend... Um, he killed himself, but he was like, he couldn't go to hell. He was such a good man and he loved God so much and stuff like that. But. Yes. But you don't think, know. Because yeah. some people think that suicide, like, because you killed yourself and that's not God's will that you go to hell, but that's not true. No, that is not true. It is a sin. Um, but it is not. If you are a person that loves God, you are a person that loves God, and God does forgive, all right? And God knows the things you're going to do. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a wise thing or a good thing. It's actually a very selfish act, okay, is what it is. And so we see that Judas ends up with that selfish act. We don't know about his fate. Peter ends up becoming a very selfless person. And so we see the fruits, and that's where you were talking about him being a pruner. All right? And he prunes, and he cuts out the dead, and he takes and prunes, which encourages growth. He puts them under stress. Yes, yes. So they blossom, and they grow, and it's a development of a good thing. All right? So... God's ultimate message from all of that is he gives forgiveness, right? Despite, even to a traitor, he will forgive, okay? He loves, he will forgive, and that is God's message. That is what Jesus Christ died for. He died for Judas, as well as Peter, as well as me, as well as you, all right? So, there is nothing that you do that can't be forgiven, all right? There is no sin that if you turn back to God and repent and ask for forgiveness that he will not forgive, all right? That's the message from God. No matter how rotten of a scoundrel you are, no matter how rotten, it doesn't matter. All right. So these are the messages of God. And they're not, there's not hundreds of them, but they are ones for everyday life. And they are ones for the communication of God saying, you have eternity. But there's one more big message that I want to talk about, all right? And yes, Jesus died, and then we know he resurrected, right? So let's go to John, chapter number 20, as we look at the end of Jesus' time on earth. And I say it specifically that way, because it's not the end of Jesus' life. 
He died, and now he's alive again. So he started his new life, I guess. That's what you'd call it. His resurrected life. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23, we'd like to read. As we look at one piece of the story to say what happened. All right. Please. 19 through 23, please. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Verse 20. And when he had so said, he shewed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, remit so they are remitted unto them, and those and whosoever sins ye remit and retain. Oh <laughs> retain are the they are retained. Alright. So Here's an interesting little thing that we see. In the book of John, he comes after he's resurrected. He shows up in the room with the disciples. Everybody but Thomas is there. All right? Thomas gets the name of Doubting Thomas, all right? Because he doesn't believe until he sees him. All right? But that's not the point of this. He is there to do something, to tell, he, he does a couple things and he tells them a couple things. He says, what, what's your mission? He actually gives them something we call the Great Commission, but it is a mission. What is now their mission? He has it in one of his sentences that he says. They have a new mission. To tell everybody that I'm alive, well, Jesus is alive. Read it, because it's very specific. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are Before that. <laughs> Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Before that, there's one more. Wait, I can read. Even so, I said you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, peace be unto you, as, as my Father sent me. Even so, I send you. Even so, I send you. All right. So that's what I did. Okay. For right. Other people. You do what I did for other people. Correct. Because think about this. So what did Jesus do for other people? He died. He saved, well, he saved them. He, he resurrected he, them. He lived. He, he taught them the truth. Oh. He helped. He was kind. Uh, he, he died. He sometimes suffered. And yes, he did die. <laughs> yes, right. He did die. But he says... So this is why, right, this whole thing is why the message from God, this is why I was sent, right, to tell them about me. And now, just as my Father sent me, I'm sending you. Go out and do the same. Peter does do that, all right? And we see Peter do that throughout the book of Acts, all right? We see that as the book of John closes, we see that... He does that. So he, he sends us with a mission. So I send you. All right. Go on to all the world. Preach the gospel to every nation. Called the Great Commission in other, um, other gospels. It's written out a little differently. But either way, this is the goal. 
I lived here so you would see me and understand who I am, and now I'm sending you out so others will see you and understand who I am. All right? And then he does something really weird. What's he do? That second one you read, the middle one. Um, receive you the Holy Ghost. How did you give it to him? He breathed on them. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a weird thing. Some religions, um, particularly the, particularly the Jehovah's Witnesses, say, well, the <laughs> say that the Spirit of God is just God's breath, and it's like, no, that's not really the point of what this is. It's a whole other... Right, right, right. Hold over one third of a trinity. Right, so he's he's imparting on them his spirit. Right, he's saying in order to do this, be sent. You cannot do this alone. Right. So I'm giving you my spirit, the spirit of God. In fact, bodily, I will need to leave in order for him to stay. That's how this is going to be. Right? If I'm physically here, I am the presence that is here. As I leave, he's going to be the one that's got to help you. And so, the Spirit of God begins. And then, he says, so, whosoever sins you remit. And remit means forgive. Forgive will be forgiven. And whosoever sins you retain will be retained. That's kind of a weird thing, huh? That's a, a thought. Now, do you think that God's, after all of these things, do you think God's goal is not to forgive? No. I would say no. I would say no, right? right? Pretty obviously, God's goal and mission by sending Christ to die especially, is to forgive. Especially considering some, like, some of his of, friends, like Matthew. Right. Because right. he kind of <laughs> died on the cross to forgive our sins. He didn't kind of. He that. actually did, right? He, he just that. did it. So he, he paid the ultimate price to forgive people's sins. So... To interpret that verse to say, well, if I, as a Christian, want to hold you back, I can do it, then you don't understand, and you are not being sent out as Christ was sent out, to love and forgive, to be kind. Are there people who will refuse? Yes. But if... This is why he says, I'm going to send you out and give you the Spirit, and then when you've got the Spirit of God, when you've got the wisdom of God in you, your greatest desire will be to see others forgiven. Right? Your greatest desire will be to see that. So, that, well, I'm going to retain your sins because I don't like you, that is not at all what it's talking about. Right? It is much more about understanding the love of God. And there is great power in the Holy Spirit. 
all right? But it's a little, it's a, it's a different thing to look at that, all right? So he goes on, comes back later when Thomas is there, all right? And if you were to read on in that chapter, you'd see Thomas is there and he sees and he believes because he puts his hands in, in the wounds in his side and his hands. He touches him and he believes and it's great. And verse number 30 of chapter 20, Verse 30 and 31, we read those two. This is after Thomas comes along and believes, and Jesus says, yes, this is what it is. And John makes a summation of what just happened. Huh? 30 and 31. I'll go first. <clears throat> and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. All right? This is the goal. I didn't write every extensive piece of every single story. And John is very different than the other Gospels. All right? Those other Gospels are actually often uh, quoted for a lot of things being the same. John's is very different. He chose out specific miracles and specific stories to give you the point that you will believe. That's why he wrote it. All right. And now skip to the end of the whole book, chapter 21, mm -hmm. verse number 25, as he sums up the entire book. And he says, well, I'm done. And here's what I say about it. And there are also many things which Jesus did the which of if they should be written every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Alright. That's like the realest, most closest to English sentence in the Bible that I It is. <laughs> right, right. So, I guess if I was trying to tell all the stories and all the people that Jesus affected, and all the lives that were changed, and I talked about every single miracle, and all the people involved in all those miracles, I could never write, the whole book couldn't even contain all of them. The world that. couldn't contain the books. I love that sentence. Right. <laughs> I suppose. That right. Even... <laughs> right. right. It's a great one. And that's what he's saying, is this is not the point, but it's the point to give you this message from God to say, here is Jesus. You need to believe on him and have eternal life. And that's almost everything that John needs to say. But he finished the book. And if you were to flip the page in your Bible, you're going to read something on the very next page. Acts chapter 1, verse number 6 through 11. Let's read that and see what the book of Acts begins with. Now, Jesus is still on earth here in the book of Acts. And let's read chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, please. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And here we are. And here we are, right? And so, the disciples all stand there, have their very last conversation, and they know something major's coming. And this major thing, and they're waiting for Jesus to come and take over Israel and crush the government and destroy all the bad, nasty, evil people and become the leader. Oh, poor disciples. When are you going to do it? And Jesus says, I'm not giving you the days or the times, but you've got work to do. Go out into the world, into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, into the rest of the world. <clears throat> and off he goes, right up into the clouds. He's gone. And they're all standing there watching. Because it probably is the most incredible sight that you've ever seen as someone just floats up into the clouds and is gone. And they're waiting for boom or bang or pow or crush or the cities are on fire or something. And pretty soon there's two angels standing right in the crowd with them. And they're like, uh, he's not coming back right now. But he will come back the very same way. So like, all right, next week? Yeah, right, right. And there were groups of people, disciples, that worked that way and lived that way. And there were people and had been people ever since Jesus has left that have said, we know the time. It's all set. We're going up on the mountain. We're selling our houses. And we're going to be ready. And they go up and they sell everything. And they wait. And the date comes. And the date goes. And then they die because they don't have anything. And then what do you do? Go back and say to your friends, there's a little slight miscalculation on that part, but I know the next one. I swear it's the right day. <laughs> and so, but this is where Jesus says, it's not for you to know the dates or the times. It is for you. Or the seasons. I'm sending you on this mission. You have the Spirit of God. Go do it. And the angels add in and wait for him to come. Wait for him to come. Just like he came in his body out of the clouds. He's going to show up. And it says that it will happen like a lightning strike runs from east to west and the world will know it when Jesus comes again. This is one of God's last pieces of his message. It's not only all these things. That Jesus died, Jesus was risen, and Jesus went back to heaven. But his last piece is Jesus is coming again. It's an exciting one. It's one that could happen at any moment. And we need to read a couple more things about it. And I said, well, you know, John's book was all done. Except, one day John had a dream. John the Revelator wrote it down. All right? And he did it in Revelation. 
And so we don't have time to do all kinds of Revelation, but we're going to turn to the end of Revelation, chapter 19, and then we're going to look at a couple other spots, because meanwhile, up in heaven, there is something going on, an important piece, because Jesus is at work in heaven. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 14 through 17. Back in heaven, this is right now, as far as we're concerned. We don't know when this happens. All right? Okay. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his, and out of his mouth goes... I'm sorry. 11 through 16. I'm sorry, not 14. Okay. 14 through... I'm so, I was looking down at the next one. 11 through 16. It will make more sense. <laughs> and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he sat, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as flame of fire, and his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Imagine that. You heard that one before, right? Oh. Hey! And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so it is. <laughs> and it will be, this is the way he's coming back, right? You will see an army come back with him. Not that he needs an army, but they're all behind everything he does, right? You will see Jesus Christ come back and people will see and understand it when his day comes of which we do not know the time or the season. We do know the things leading up. And we have spent an entire Sunday school series talking about the signs leading up to the times when Jesus will come. We've talked about all kinds of different things leading through it. We've gone through the book of Revelation. We've gone through other sections in Matthew and other places in the Bible talking about it. We just finished up the book of Daniel, okay, and talking about the Antichrist and the Great Tribulation, and all of the beasts, and several things that happen in there. So all of the message points and says, he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's coming and says to judge and make war. Alright? And that is not like the baby coming in Bethlehem. No, right? it is not. It is not. It is, that is a promise. It is a promise. And it is a time in which he will take evil and finish what he, it started. He will finish it because patiently he has waited since his victory on the cross and his victory of resurrection. He has patiently waited. Yes, while things are bad. And yes, while things are very sinful and sin grows, 
He holds things in check and he allows it until he allows, he opens up the, the gate valve that he's been shut back or at least throttled way down and he just allows it to take its full course. He allows it to grow before he's been cutting it and chopping it off and chopping it off and chopping it off and now he's going to allow the plant of sin to take its full course at the end times. And what are we going to see? Many things. Oh, wars and rioting and earthquakes and things like that. Imagine that. Things like we've never seen before, except we've started to see things like these I things. I think he's peeking out again. Yeah, there's, there's certainly an edge of what's happening, which should do a few things to us. This message should tell us it's exciting, it's a little frightening, because where am I in my relationship with Christ? Am I ready if he came tomorrow morning? Am I ready if he breaks open the middle of midnight tonight and it's, am I ready? Have I done what I could do? Have I, am I eternally secure? Have I accepted him for my savior? Have I done what this whole point of all these are is that you might believe, you see it and you believe. Do I believe that he can bring me beyond this life? Faith. Is my faith at least in the little tiniest bit? All right? And as I've grown older, have I done for Christ what I can do? I see a man like Peter, who they call St. Peter because Peter was crucified for his faith, literally nailed to a cross for believing what he believes. Do I have the strength to stand up for what is right? For doing, am I on my mission? That's the questions that I need to ask myself every day. Am I doing what I ought to do? Am I allowing sin, my sin, because I know my struggles, I know my own struggles, and talk about them many times here in class, my own struggles hold me back pull me for farther from God in my heart. They drive separation between me and him. Not because he wants it, but because I say, I want what I want, all right? I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And so it is a sobering thought, and yet it's meant to be a thrilling thought. We can set our heart right with God. We can't spend our entire life in anxiety. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about going to him on that regular basis, talking to him and saying, Lord, help me do what I'm supposed to be doing. Help me to listen to you. Help me to stop being so stubborn because I got that deep down in my soul. And I've got that stubborn streak inside of me that just won't quit. I don't know if you guys do, but I know I do, <laughs> right? And so that stubborn streak inside of me makes me pause to think, can I do something different in my life? Am I, let, am I wasting time? Am I wasting opportunities that I could have 
keeping those things in mind, not to live, like I said, in some great big puddle of anxiety where I'm wallowing forever and never getting out, because that's not God's plan for us either, but to just take account of our lives. That's what communion is about, to bring us back. That's what our prayers are about, to bring us back. And if our prayer life is not what it ought to be, start with a minute a day. Do 10 minutes then. I don't care. Just, just fight to keep it. Fight to keep prayer in your life because that busyness will take away those things. Right? And Satan would love you to live your entire life as a Christian and not accomplish a thing. Right? Wouldn't that just be his great plan? So what am I doing? Because when this comes, it's going to be exciting. And we're going to read about a couple of exciting things that are going to happen. Things that I want to hear. And I want Christ to come and say, he's with me. That's what I want him to say about me. Come with me. Join the army. March with me. You're with me. Right? So what's happening? 1 Thessalonians 4.14. As we just look at a couple of these things. 1 Thessalonians 4.14. By the way, as I say these things are happening in heaven, the book of Revelation is written in such a way that there is no time with it. The story might show a story that lasts a hundred years or a thousand years. I don't know. All right? But as he talks about the book with the seven seals being opened, and he watches as John sees this vision, sees the Lamb of God sitting on the throne, Jesus Christ sitting on the throne, and he cries because there is this great book which holds the rest of mankind and all of the rest of the history of the earth in it, and no one can open it. And he looks, and, it, and he just starts to cry. Because this thing seems like it's just going to go on forever and ever and ever and just get worse and worse and worse. And he cries and he cries and he cries. And the angel next to him says, no cry. There is one who can open it. And there is the Lamb of God who begins to break open the seals. And with every seal being broke open, finally to come to the final piece of the earth and the man, history of man... He opens those things, things begin to happen. And with those things, it's all about the book of Revelation, that unfolding of that scroll, all of those things that happen are what has we have seen happening. All right? We have seen some of those things occurring. Where are we in the seven seals and the seven trumpets and all the vials and all the things that are in there? Where are we? Well, we see some signs. Here and there, little things that pop in there. How much time is there? We don't know. We do know when Antichrist comes. That is the one of the major sign of the final few years. Alright? When will he show up? I don't know. Maybe in your lifetime, maybe in my lifetime. I don't know. Maybe shortly. But we could be that close to the very end, the most exciting time. And this is what happens. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 through 17. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, just what we talked about out of the clouds, with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So there's going to be a fanfare when he comes. A huge trumpet fanfare and shouts and archangels talking, which is going to shake the earth. Is the archangel still going to be Michael? We don't know. Doesn't really specifically say. Don't know. Could be. <laughs> I saw somewhere that someone was making a joke about how, like, when he comes back, Michael's going to be like... Oh, all right. <laughs> well, know. that was pretty funny. And he is the archangel that we have named. Are there? Well, we know also. How would they say that it's Michael? Like, how did they get that? Because we have we have specific references in the book of Daniel oh. and one I think yeah. in the book of Jude okay. about Michael the archangel, right? So Michael the archangel is mentioned. And we also know that Michael and Lucifer, or Satan, who was called the son of the morning, probably an archangel also, are, are um, I'll say, Satan rivals the power of Michael, okay? But Michael seems to be more powerful than Satan. And yet, but there is a hierarchy somewhere in there. So are there other Archangels. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's bigger ones. Maybe there's ones that are a thousand times more powerful than Michael. Okay? We don't know. Alright? So continue. Where were we? Verse 17. 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Alright? So there it is. The great trumpet comes, the shout, the archangel, all of the things, the big fanfare happens, and up we go. In the air... To be with God. Somebody just said, when you read that, when Jesus Christ comes to earth, he's not even going to set foot on earth. He's just here, and he's pulling us all out and coming to destroy what needs to be destroyed. And it will be incredible and probably frightening and thrilling Wait, all at once. Do we, when he pulls us up, are we just going to be absent or do we watch? That sounds like morbid, but that's a genuine question. <laughs> so, Not that I want to be like, well, watching you'll be well, you'll be with him, right? So, and if you're with him and he's right there, I'm guessing you will see. Do I get a horse? The thing I don't know if you're getting a horse or not. <laughs> Maybe you'll get a brand new creature created for you. Oh. <laughs> right? Sort of happy horse. Well, it probably won't be anything like. Anything we've ever seen? It probably will be anything like that. I would like a lion. <laughs> I want the Aslan. Who is that? So, God could just come in. Alright, so here, I mean, it is thrilling and exciting to think about it, but this is God's final piece of his message. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming to take us this last time. So, this is what we wait for, and yet, this is where we. 
have to keep moving ahead with what we do. So send I you. That's why we're here, right? With the Holy Spirit, we're here to do this and keep, and whether that is my entire life and I die, and it talks about the people, the first resurrection, before we go up, if we're still here when Christ comes, the people in the ground, in the graves, are standing up first. Okay? And that is why they say that they, there's a tradition in all the, uh, in the graveyards to face all the bodies the same way. So when they come, they all stand up. Interesting. Been there for years and years. Like right? a little... All stand up facing the same direction. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, I'm so scared. I wonder if um, they're all going to face that direction of God. If he's going to like stand in the middle of all the cemeteries so that when they all get up, they're just looking like God. Well, Can you imagine what is the big, like Arlington? All of them are going to be like... Yeah, right? Up they come. Oh and don't gosh. think they've lost their personality either because it's raising their bodies. Right? That's so weird. It will be unlike anything. I mean, we see, we read the story of Lazarus. That will be nothing. And it was when Jesus rose from the dead, there were many people who were saints that rose from the dead that day. And, they, and it said they went and walked around amongst people. They were there. There was weird stuff that happened and everybody knew it. And that's why even historians wrote about the resurrection of Christ. And they wrote about the death of Christ. Because who is this guy? You know how many people that the Romans killed on crosses? So many. Millions and millions. There were cities that they cut down and crucified people until there were no trees left. That's how many people they they just they just put them out along the road all the way just to show how much power they had. You don't mess with the Romans because we will just crucify all of you. There's gonna be so many people from different eras. It will be I every mean, like the Egyptians. Yes, every like, oh my god. Right. Like so a culture shock. The Wait, people. I see Abraham Lincoln and <laughs> so understand the people from the entire world that ever knew God. Whether it's Abraham or Moses or, yes, people that believed in God from Egypt. Right? All of those people that stood up for the faith and then millions that we never heard of that lived. And who will get the place of honor? The one who is the lowest. The one who served the most. Who is it? We don't know. Moses. Well, or I don't know. know you talk about John the Baptist. Exodus, they wanted to know. They, they talked about John the Baptist being the highest, and Jesus says he's got the lowest place in heaven. So, a man that gave his life. So, think about it. What is it going to be? I'll be glad to be there. That's all. And I'm, I'm yeah. not going to hit the heights of anything for sure. I know, but I am grateful that the Lord loved me enough to give me the opportunity to be a part of this all. Right? So I got, um, do we have one more? No, I don't have one more here. So, all right. Uh, the, the point is here that it's the last message. It is that Christ reaches out like that lightning bolt across from east to west all the way through, right? 
and the world knows it all in one moment. Right? He comes back. He takes his children, those who believe in his resurrection, those who believe, right? And he will take them and separate them out from the non-believers. When he takes them, then he comes and he makes a show of evil. Just you and I often feel like we could fight evil and fight and try to fight the wrong thing and in one little place is anybody even going to listen to us? And even if we did win in one little place, can we overcome this world that has become so evil and so underground and so underhanded and so much that is happening that's terrible, right? Can we do it? Well, Christ can do it, but we are still put out there in our corner of the world and this is God's full plan. Wherever we are, we're in a classroom, a dorm room, we're in a uh, job somewhere, we're at church, we're in a store, wherever we are. God has said, that's where I put you, on purpose. Even if you don't, even if you think you got there on accident, God says, no, I put you there on purpose. Every little spot got there on purpose. There's a reason why I put you there to talk to those people, to see those people, so I send you. That's what this is about. It's God's big message. Now we wait. Waiting might be a long time in our life, and it might seem like a long time, but we're preparing and giving that opportunity for the day when he comes. And if we're in a grave, so be it for the first one to raise up. Right? If we're dead, we're the first ones. He stands us right up out of the graves. All over the world, all at once. Boom. Up we come. And if we're still here and still alive, he brings us right up out of the wherever we are, whatever we're doing, right up into the air. Alright? So think about that. Be excited about that. God's message to us is simple. And yet, it's God's perfect plan for us. What we're doing now, who Jesus is to us, how we can have forgiveness, how we can be forgiven and, and sins can be washed away for us and keep up doing what we're supposed to be doing. Prepare. Think about that as we come through. Holiday seasons, what are we doing for other people, right? That's what we try to do in this church too. Give opportunities to do things to spread the thoughts of Christ to everybody, everybody. Whether it's being a part of a concert, uh, old-fashioned days, food drives, singing to people for whether we're going around and caroling, um, whatever it is we're doing, do it for the glory of God. So send I you. That's what we do right here in this little corner of the world. It's where we're sent. It's a nothing little spot, East Shelby. Nobody ever even heard of it. People in Shelby haven't even heard of East, East Shelby sometimes. All right? But God sent us here, out in the middle of nowhere, to reach out to all we can. And that's what we do. So it's an interesting end to the book of John and the messages that God had for us. And that is what John was trying to get across to us. Get us ready for... This life lived for a life of belief and do what we ought to do. Thank you very much.